Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Veronica. I am... I'm looking forward to this conversation. A lot of my conversations are about health and healing, and I feel like you have, um, you know, and emotions and all the, all the things, which I'm sure you are very skilled at talking about, but you also have a lens that's a little more logistical, like from what I understand, and we don't know each other well, <laughs> really at all, um, you have some experience in abortion work that's a little more like I don't know, ground level, I guess, is like how I would describe it, like the logistics of getting people care. And um, actually, in almost 200 episodes, that's not, it's not my typical episode. It's not about access or like the the legislative work or any of that funding. There are episodes, but I tend to focus really on mental well-being and the experience of the Um, person who's moving through abortions. So I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective on um, abortion care and access and um, the kind of support that you offered to people. Why don't you introduce yourself? I didn't tell you this, but I like when my guests introduce themselves in whatever way feels good for today. Like, what do you feel like today's audience wants to know about you before we start a conversation? Uh, well, thank you for having me, Amanda. My name is Veronica for the purposes of Beautiful. this conversation. <laughs> um, I grew up being called both Veronica and Veronica, but um, for this conversation, I think I'm Veronica because um, I funded abortions for Spanish speakers in the North Texas area, but I spoke to folks seeking abortions all over um, Texas and Oklahoma uh-huh. uh, throughout those five years that I was able to do that. Um, and so they knew me as Veronica when I Beautiful. would call them and um, talk to them on the phone. Amazing. How did you land in that work? How did you land in that in that place? So this is a story that goes back way farther than (laughs) just doing that work. And I think that that's always um, how we come to it, right? Like, I I grew up in North Texas, but um, I'm from Chile, which Mm -hmm. is a long, skinny country on um, the southwestern tip of South America. And we had an exchange student from Chile when we when well I was actually little my brother's older so he was more his age but we talk cool. about him a lot. <laughs> I love that. Keep I going. Love that. <laughs> yes. Um. Well, that's that's where I'm from. That's where my parents are from. Mm. And so you know, because abortion is something that's so um taboo, it's so it's a, it's a source of shame for so many people. Um, I didn't really come to know personally a story about abortion until my mid-teens. And it came to a point where I became sexually active as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I was having safe sex, but my mom was really adamant. Um, She was pretty progressive, but she was really adamant that I not get pregnant, right? You know, as most moms of teen girls you'd think would be um and <laughs> fair. Um, I'm a mom of teen girls I get it <laughs> yeah Please don't get so, pregnant you know, yeah my mom was you know much wiser than I um so you know she took me to the local Planned Parenthood um terribly funded here in Texas mm. so small clinic cramped waiting room long wait not old um <laughs> just really, again, terribly funded. It's crazy that, you know, same country as some of the best medical care in the world. Um, Anyway, she took me to that clinic um, to get some birth control. 
And, you know, on the way, I think, you know, she started, I don't think she had thought about this long before until the moment came, but she really, you know, at that point shared a vulnerable story. My family is not one for sharing vulnerable stories. Um, so I guess it kind of happens on the moment um, yeah. that she told me that, that she, um, got pregnant the first time she ever had sex at uh, the age of 21 yeah. and um that when she told her family that she was pregnant they laughed at her they didn't believe her and so she had no other recourse so she turned to um a cousin who had resources and mm. was you know progressive and had access to money really um, and if you didn't know, abortions are still illegal in Chile mm -hmm. today. Yeah. So this was in the early 1970s. And this cousin with resources was able to get the money to get my mom mm -hmm. into a clinic mm -hmm. and have mm -hmm. an abortion. Um, wow. So just for everybody out there, making abortions illegal doesn't make abortions illegal. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I have to say it. But yeah, my mom received an abortion in a clinic from a doctor that was paid for by somebody else who had the resources to do that. Um, and, you know, you can imagine the trauma about getting pregnant the first time you have sex and having an abortion. Um, so there was that trauma that she shared with me right before I went into Planned Parenthood for the first time in my life. So that was emotional, but um, I'm glad it was a story that she shared with me because yeah. it made so much sense, you know, then why she was so protective of me and preventing me from yeah. a child considering, you know, my parents made this big sacrifice to move to the United States so that me and my brother could get an education and could really finish our schooling and then do whatever we wanted with our lives after that point. So that happened. Um, additionally, in the 80s, uh, my parents my parents had a, a son, my, my older brother. And then um, between my brother and me, my mom also had a miscarriage of a baby. And mm -hmm. so that was, you know... We're not sure if it was a naturally induced abortion or not. Uh, she certainly didn't want to have an abortion. So that was also a great source of pain and sadness for my mom in that um, she felt as a Catholic that it was her punishment for mm. having had an abortion earlier on in her life as yeah. a young woman. Um, so, you know, all of that is sort of the pre-story and me knowing that about my mom was my connection to abortion, having never had one or had, I've never had to seek an abortion. I've never been pregnant. So yeah. I think that I have that privilege because I had a mom who endured all of that pain mm. and sadness before me. Mm. And um, other than that, when I went away to college as a, contrast to my first time in an abortion clinic or wasn't even an abortion clinic just a Planned Parenthood clinic they didn't offer abortions um there but they did offer birth control and health care for people seeking that um when I was in college I went to college in Portland Oregon mm -hmm. and um if any of your listeners have ever been to the um the Planned Parenthood in Portland Oregon it's on Northwest MLK, um, or sorry, Northeast MLK. Um, it's a huge building. It's brand new. It's state of the art. At least it was. It's not years. Texas. <laughs> not Texas. They do have protesters outside, but um, otherwise, what a contrast to my experience going to Planned Parenthood in my hometown. Um, going to Planned Parenthood in college involved. I was covered under Oregon Contraceptive Care, OCC, which mm. really involved me signing out, uh, signing up online, filling out one simple form, um, you know, saying that I was, I lived in Oregon. Um, I actually never got residency in Oregon. I always kept my residency in Texas since I was just there for college. And I figured my vote might help a little bit more in Texas than in Oregon. Um, nice so figuring. 
So, um, so yeah, I went there and all of my care was covered and, um, they gave me over a year's worth of birth control in one go, plus a bag of condoms, plus a bag of emergency birth control. They didn't charge me anything. I felt like I walked out like a burglar. I mean, I have thousands of dollars worth of almost black market merchandise at this wow. in this country. Yeah. I mean, I the way I protected my backpack that day on the bus, man, I I really did feel like I was moving illicit cargo. <laughs> wow. Um so that was just a huge contrast um wow. in my in my brain and and to my experience and and it just made me so sad that that same country a world of difference in the type of healthcare that people can receive. So, um, after college, I, um, didn't, I would have loved to stay in Portland, but that just wasn't for me. And there was a big culture shock when that happened to me, when I moved to Portland, I love Portland. I'll love it forever. But, um, I felt, uh, a duty to come back to Texas, um, with the education I received both experiential and, and through school and to, um, you know, be this sort of progressive voice, yeah. you know, here where I live yeah. now. And um, one of my very clear and specific goals was to seek out an abortion funding organization that I could help um, in any way that I could. Yeah. So um, I came back, I found that organization I weaseled my way in, um, nonprofits, organizations are often overwhelmed with, um, communication, emails, the like forms, things like that. So, um, it did take me, and you know, this is just something, this is just a part of our culture. So just for anybody out there that wants to do this kind of work, you cannot be, um, stopped by, you know, somebody not responding to your email, you really got to jockey for the things that you want in life. And you got to not feel rejected or ashamed or unwanted or unheard, which are some of the hardest emotions to to process. Um, you just really got to get in there. So it took me meeting some people and finding out that some people from my youth that I met through feministing in my youth and, <laughs> and, and showing up that they were, of course, the, you know, the feminists I met as a teenager turned out to be the feminists that um, in my 20s ran all of the organizations <laughs> that helped um, women and, and all sorts of people across North Texas get healthcare. So um, got my way in, got my foot in the door, and then um, became the Spanish language um operator basically Mm -hmm. for texas equal access fund here in north texas so i got the privilege of going through training um to talk to people on the phone and get them funding as much funding as i could as quickly as i could so that they could get the health care that they needed so that resulted in five years of work before it became illegal for me to do that Wow. So just recently last year. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So when you said, um, I think when I introduced this podcast to the group that we're in, you said I funded abortions for Spanish speakers. I didn't know if you were doing fundraising work for the organization or if you were speaking to, um, the, the humans (laughs) seeking abortion. So now it sounds like you were really coordinating with families and and people who needed who need care. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. Um, do you want to share what that was like in the in the last couple of years? I totally yeah of watching that shift happen. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously a huge point of sadness and knowing that, you know, I was funding anywhere from one to four abortions a week. Yeah. For five years, meaning that there are, and that's probably a small percentage of the people who 
actually needed help, right? Because yeah. these people had to find our number. These people then had to work up the courage to contact the number and then wait. And then um, sometimes I couldn't get in touch with people. Sometimes they were borrowing a phone. Sometimes, yeah. you know, so so one to four people a week is is a small number of how many people actually were probably needing help. But these are the people that were able to get through. These are the people that I were that I was able to get back to. Um, and the biggest thing for me, you know, when people talk about huh, abortions and and the the circumstances of that, um, a lot of people have assumptions. A lot a lot of people have their own ideas about who seeks this kind of help and support, and um whether they should be allowed to have it, of course. Um, but even progressive people don't really have an idea about who is really the, who are the people that are needing this kind of um, support and and when and how and yeah. um, all the hoops they're jumping really to get this essential healthcare. Yeah. So the biggest thing for me as somebody who literally met these people and, and let me just say like one to four fund, uh, fundraising fund support calls, um, funding calls a week. This is compared to our main line that received hundreds of calls. Yeah. I just talked to Spanish speaking folks. Um, and I supported them and I was super, super lucky and privileged in that, um, our director gave me no cap on funding. Uh -huh. So our main line did have a cap for funding. We could only fund somewhere like two. It, it went up every year, fortunately, because we did better at fundraising. But it yeah. was somewhere, between, I don't know, I'm just throwing numbers out there. Don't quote me. Two to four thousand dollars a week yeah. that we could fund. And then depending on how far along somebody was, was how much we could fund them. So something like. Um, let's say $300, $400, $500 being the max. Yeah. Um, some of these abortions reach the thousands of dollars. So just so people can get an idea um, of what this healthcare costs and, and how much of a role it played for us to be able to fund up to a quarter of that cost for people. So um, yeah, they, the main line reached hundreds of calls and they would have to They'd run out of money every week because we had to apportion that money for every week of the year because, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a holiday. People are still getting pregnant, especially if it's a holiday. People are getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, so um, I didn't have a cap on my funding. And this also meant that some weeks I didn't get any calls and some weeks I got more than five calls. Right. So yeah. it was a way to help people who have an even harder time accessing this kind of um, help get the help that they could get if they were able to reach us. So yeah, I'm imagining the relief of, uh, I, I would imagine the people you worked with spoke maybe only Spanish because otherwise they may have been able to receive care on the other line. I'm imagining the relief of finally finding someone who can help them in their language um, with the heart and passion you have for the work. Uh, when you say one to four a week, like I wrote down the words one to four lives transformed in a week. Like yeah. it's a big deal. Um, it is a small number. It's a tiny number compared to the care that's needed out there, um, the people who are seeking, but it's not a tiny impact. Totally. It's a big deal a big deal yeah and um you know I think with my background like being an immigrant knowing the stories of people around me not just my mom their abortion stories um which if you have an abortion story I encourage you to share it with people because because there are people that will be touched and then will do something right like I don't know if my mom had never shared any of those stories if I'd have as big of a of um commitment you know to yeah. to that kind of work and that's just because people are touched by stories I think it's such a huge thing for me um that everybody knows that their story should be heard um even mine I never had an abortion right but my story should be heard because 
because it can help impact other people when we are human to human connected, it makes such a bigger difference. Right. And, um, not just helping them with that funding, but giving these people, um, other resources, right? Our organization also offered other resources, or at least the phone numbers to other organizations that could help them with other things in their lives, right? Um, Me being an immigrant, I talked to a lot of immigrant women, a lot of immigrant people who only just arrived here um, you know, during a lot of um, the border crises, crises, um, I talked to people who were assaulted, who were violated on their path to the to United States, yeah. and they needed essential health care because they did not even wish to have been, you know, it's not like they were there was no accident happening, you know, for them. It, and and sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these people were, were violated on their way to a better life. And can you imagine traveling to a foreign country and being no. unprotected and, and then arriving there and, and nope. not knowing where to turn and being, being impregnated by a total awful stranger. So, I mean, there was, those calls, there was the calls of people who needed way more help than just abortion funding. And I was able to point them in the direction of, of, you know, immigration, um, help, um, and, and organizations that help that, uh, contingent of folks. Um, uh, you know, I'll say I, I, people who know the ins and outs of this sort of thing, um, almost none of the people that I talked to were less than six weeks along. That's what our law is in Texas, right? You have to be less than six weeks along to get an abortion. But, you know, sometimes the wait to get into a clinic, because we have so few here, is a week or two, right? So, so just to give people some perspective, um, almost nobody that that I talked to was less than six weeks, maybe, you know, a handful every few weeks, possibly, um, probably less than that. Um, the wait, but then also, I just want to say, like, I say a lot, you know, I'm so in tune with my body. Like I knew the moment I got pregnant, that is a privilege. <laughs> that means I have time and space in my life to notice that right. kind of thing. Right. Like I have just the, the, the resource of um, enough peace in your life that you can pay attention to the symptoms is a big deal. And that's not happening when you're crossing a border. That's not happening when you're trying to get, you know, general daily life care for yourself and or your family and you don't speak the language. And I mean, it's absolutely it's ridiculous that anyone would think we should all know before six weeks. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. I mean, there's an entire show called I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. Um, and this happens all the time to to people who don't know they're pregnant until literally they have a pain in their stomach. Yeah. But don't assume because a woman or a person has a pain in their stomach that they are pregnant because that's also sexist. But um <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, I, growing up as an immigrant, we all know that healthcare is a privilege in this country and not a right, unfortunately. Um, this is a huge problem for immigrants that yeah. we are taught to ignore our bodies yeah. because of the high cost of healthcare. So, my parents, me, my brother, we did not go to the doctor. Right. We didn't go to the dentist. We didn't, unless it was really bad. Yeah. Emergency room level illness. We didn't go yeah. to a doctor. Yeah. Maybe a few times. I remember getting chicken pox when I was eight. I was taken to the doctor for the chicken pox, which right. is not 
little ailment. <laughs> no, it's not like I, my kids had a fever for a day and a half. I, you know, can you just make sure everything's okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, we didn't no. have a doctor. I didn't have a doctor until two years ago and I'm 32. I didn't have a doctor that I went to that I developed a relationship with until yeah. I yeah. was 30. Mm-hmm. So even though I grew up middle class, I pretty much had most of the things that I needed. Yeah. That's not one of the privileges that I grew up being able to think that was for me, right. a doctor or right. the ability to just go to the doctor if I had a cold or something. It had right. to be severe illness on the verge of death or possible death, which even influenza is is a death, a deadly illness, right? Especially if you it goes un, uncared for, unchecked. So so just saying that to give some people some perspective. Like this is where these people are at. These people are surviving. They don't have extra money to pay a doctor just to check on their cold, right? Or yeah. what have you, right? Yeah. Um, also, you can't or- trust doctors sometimes, I right? Like, yeah. Doctors might tell you, you know, they're not going to necessarily give you the information that you that you require or these women uh, are going to feel shame about their situation and don't want to yeah. be shamed for yeah. whatever it is. Um, you were going to ask a question. No, I was just going to say, and then there's the other angle of like the plug for health and sex education, right? Because if you have a symptom and you have had health education, you have access to a doctor you're thinking like, okay, this could be one of 10 things. And that just being able to calculate that in your head is, it's a resource in your brain that you know this symptom could be one of 10 things versus let me just see what happens. Um, If it gets really bad, I'll go to the ER. Like, right? Like the education it's a place again where privilege sits and we don't see it as privilege to even think, okay, let me Google, like, let me think about how many different things this could be and put together the resources. Like, um, that's another one, the resources, right? Like the cheapest abortion you could get here, you know, under 11 weeks at the time of me funding was probably around $800. Now, That might be more than a month's wages, especially for an immigrant. Latin women are, Latinx, Hispanic women are um, the least paid, compensated for their labor in the United States. So you can imagine that, you know, $800, that might be something that somebody has in their bank account. But like, I'm an educated woman. I don't have $800 in my bank account right now, even in my savings. I could obtain that money. I have it on a credit card. I could, I have people I could ask. Yep. I could get it together. But but if you are supporting a family, working every week, you know, that's a month of your wages. And then the biggest one, the biggest one, Amanda... Uh, you know, I don't have the hard data in front of me, but I would bet money on it that over 90 to 95%, I would bet money that this number is pretty accurate. 90 to 95% of the people I was talking to had multiple children already. Yeah. So they probably did know they were pregnant, but then, you know, you find out four, five, six weeks out from missing a period and then you're like, oh, maybe I just missed it. Again, living a life where you're working a lot, you're probably not eating the most nutritious food. You can miss a period that's not not abnormal, but like they probably knew they were pregnant and maybe it took them a few weeks to even get the money to be able to pay for what they needed to pay for or get off work. Yeah, I get so pissed off at how many women's clinics I've been to that have signs that say, don't bring your children in. What? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to watch my kid? This yeah. is an obstetrician's office. Yeah. And I'm not allowed to bring kids in. And of course there are women in there with children feeling ashamed. Right. They don't have health care. Yeah. Or 
childcare. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. These kinds of things, right? Um, yeah, like childcare, leaving work. Uh, let's not forget the fact that in in Texas you have to go twice. You have to go one day to get a, a sonogram, and then you have to go another day to actually have your procedure take place. Mm. Um, the, the obstacles are immeasurable. Yeah. yeah. The obstacles are, it's like running. Logistical, emotional, all of it. Communication, all of it. Um the, it's just, again, the oversimplification of the abortion conversation in the media does not touch what's really happening in people's lives. And you were walking them through that. So, yeah. What, um, I asked you like a little while back, like, do you mind sharing what that was like watching the closing of that care? Um, can I come back to that again? Like, not to stir up your own emotions, but I can't imagine the heartache of watching that happen and feeling like you don't, you know, you've been offering this care that now you can't continue offering and those people don't have a place to go. Like, yeah, that one is a tough one. Um, For me, I think it's like, celebrating that I could do it for five years yeah I love that and and you know I'm I'm a smart I'm an educated person yeah and knowing that it's 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 a reality for people that they live in countries where it is illegal completely like the one that my parents took me out of immigrated out of so that I could have a better life with better health (laughs) care um I always knew that this was coming yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a surprise to me. And I think that that's a, a, a weird privilege that I have. Um, the privilege of being an immigrant coming from a developing nation to a developed nation right. and seeing how many white women around me, my white friends, yeah, didn't really care at all about these kinds of social issues, some of them. Yeah. And I would struggle, you know, to make them understand. And it wasn't until the rights started getting taken away that they would turn to me and say, wow, like you've been talking about this for years. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I know, because I literally come from a country where rights are taken away. Yeah. And showing you that you you can't ever sit on your laurels, (laughs) even when you have rights. Because it's not a guarantee that you get to keep them forever. And that's like a really hard reality for, I think, some Americans to like swallow, hard pill to swallow, right? And that's what makes it a privilege for me to come from another place and wasn't that difficult for me to contend with. I'm not going to say I didn't have emotions. I had yeah. lots of emotions. Yeah. Probably for a couple of years before. But because I had processed those emotions, yeah. the day came... I was not surprised and I was always ready to keep fighting. I think, I think one of the biggest reasons I'm a coach and I don't say it enough, but this will be a reminder to say it more is that revolution or progressive causes, uh, you know, political rebellion, it's the stuff of decades of work. Yeah, It's not a single protest or a single riot, although we'd love for it to be. That would be it's, easy. <laughs> right. So it's so important for us yeah. to take care of ourselves long haul style. Because yeah. I hope to be an abortion funder again yeah. before the end of my life. Yeah. I hope that abortion funding becomes a thing of the past in my lifetime, but it probably won't. Yeah. Right. To where it's like, we don't even have to fund abortions through extraneous organizations because they are just funded socially through the government, right? That's my socialistic view of things. People can have different opinions on that. But like 
we need to take care of ourselves long haul style if we're going to be yeah. revolutionary people like i've known because my parents lived through a dictatorship yeah right they had to survive on the daily to get us out of that and guess what when you leave dictatorship i think so many people don't even see these other things my parents immigrated from chile after the dictatorship was voted out but guess what the country was a mess yeah right so things take decades to improve to to regroup you know juneteenth just happened fourth of july just happened when we're we're talking um i don't know when this podcast will come out but but these kinds of celebrations you know juneteenth wonderful celebration things got worse for people after that for previously enslaved people things got worse right like like (laughs) things get worse before they get better i guess i know right like you don't want to believe it's true but history will tell you time and time again that's what it looks like exactly exactly like we could get we could gain abortion care again in this country and then people will still Mm -hmm. lobby to create more obstacles for people like two-day appointments or whatever ridiculous bureaucracy that they're going to try and throw at it for every single progressive cause right like oh you want welfare here's a bunch of paperwork you know like whatever that may be the any way that they try to throw bullets at us in in a metaphorical sense and so for me it's like i've had the skills and the privilege to learn the skills on how to process my emotions about this kind of stuff so yeah yeah, it was sad but there is a resoluteness in me that this is something that's going to change that i'm here to help with that i'm willing to put my privilege you know as as a just all of the privileges that i have being light-skinned speaking english and spanish um education educated right yeah Yeah. like not being at risk of of houselessness um not being at risk of unintended pregnancy you know all of these different things putting that on the line to help people who just don't have any of those privileges or any of that access yeah right it's about taking care of myself to the highest level processing my emotions about shit that's sad and then being like willing to like get out there with uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. 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 I think um, when I tell people what I do, uh, one of the most common reactions is like, oh, things must have really changed for you in the last couple of years. You know, since the, re- I'm like, no, nothing's changed. I just show up and do the same thing I've been doing. I- the work stays the same. Like we're just, we just keep going. We just keep going. We just keep going. Um, because what we were doing before is what we need to keep doing with slight pivots and adjustments and resilience and perseverance. Um, this I'll be doing the same thing. I'm sure for the rest of my life, if I stay in this work, absolutely, Um, it is, it's the long game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I hadn't made funding one abortion a week enough, showing up and being willing to do that for 30 minutes, 15 minutes yeah. a week, yeah. you know, whatever, however long it took, because um, that was what I could do as of, you know, working full time and yeah. you know, all other things. Um, if I hadn't made that enough for five years. Right. There were other Spanish speaking um attendance to our call but for a long time there i was the only one yeah only one right so it's like if you called the spanish speaking hotline uh between 2015 and 2020 (laughs) of tea fund you were talking to me probably right or i was returning your call at some point Mm -hmm. and so that like counting that up it's not a small thing that I did. Yeah. Back. Yeah. But if in the moment I had made it like about me, <laughs> wouldn't have gotten done or about my enoughness. Right. And yeah. again, like a huge reason why I coach, it's like, we 
um, we'll pity ourselves. We'll, we'll, and this is not to shame people. This is naturally what humans do. Yeah. We, we get down on ourselves, but once we like realize, you know, our privileges, I think volunteering is a huge way to recognize your privilege, right? Um, that we get out of our own way and we're able to help so many more people. Yeah. And that's like, that's where I think coaching is revolutionary. Processing your feelings is something that absolutely like everybody could benefit from, especially the people in the lower class. Yeah. Which is where I come from, essentially. A class What that- is, I don't even know the coaching work you're doing now because we we met through um, a coaching group that we're in, but we jumped right into like, let's talk yeah. about abortion on a podcast. So um, tell me and the listeners, what is the coaching work you do now? I'm a general life coach, a feminist, mm-hmm. if you couldn't tell already. Um, <laughs> um, I coach uh, lots of neurodiverse folks, yeah. um, women and non-binary people and men. I've had all gender clients, all sexuality of clients. Yeah. My clients tend to have a creative bent that's very you know similar to me. I went to art school um, and... You know, I think that my clients do have aspirations to be um, these sort of uh, anti-establishment, political, politically aware, um, caring about social cause type people. But the the downside to that is that we could get really down on the state of things, right? So, yes. um personally for my own mental health like I try not to read the news yeah um and I don't feel any which way about it because I don't it doesn't mean anything about me it doesn't mean anything about my intelligence or how socially plugged in I am at all so I try and set that example for my clients not that I tell my clients not to read the news but I set the example of like taking care of yourself so that you can show up in your community at a level that you really is not possible if you're just mixed up in your own shit all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Not to shame people, but this is where I was at. I've been there. I've yeah. been in the woe is me. Everything sucks. Like this is the country is never going to change. But I always have to remember, like my parents lived through a 30 year dictatorship. They got out. The country yeah. changed. Yeah. My parents achieved their dreams, even though they were poor and can't, you know, English is their third language. Like they wouldn't consider themselves adept at it, but they can definitely speak English, you know, but like they're immigrants. They're like the lowest of the low, you know, and I don't say that to hurt them. I say that society sees like my parents who work manual labor jobs and clean houses and fix things you know, the lawn care people, you know, like, yeah, those, they did those uh, jobs and they still do them into their yeah. 60s, but they like achieved their dream, which was literally me. Wow. And because they Amazing. like got out of their own ways to do whatever they could for their children, then I could exist to come here and do this type of work. It makes me emotional, actually. If you could, yeah. But like a big deal. There's a video so- on the. I think it's on the homepage of my website. Um, I haven't watched it in a long time. It'd be interesting <laughs> uh, to to watch it. And, and I'm sure I'd have different thoughts about it now. But, you know, my my stance on doing the healing work that comes after abortions is when we do that work, we heal the future generations. And when I first heard you say, tell your story about your mom, it's not like she went to therapy and processed her abortion and like, but she did enough of that inner work that she could say those words out loud to you. And it's like the prime example of, 
if I show up to my story, if I face my story enough that I can repeat it out loud, look at the change it made. So totally. It's wow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wow. And I think that that's like, that's another layer. Like abortion is, is life. Like <laughs> in the sense that it is connected to so many different strands of life. Everything. And, um, that's why it's, a, <laughs> it's such a charged topic for yeah. humans. Yeah. Um, even though it's like, it's absolutely, absolutely a neutral occurrence <laughs> as we know in coaching. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a neutral thing. It's your thoughts about it that, that give you all of the charge. Um, and by the way, I also am very into human design, which is like energy work, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. and I, I help people harness their energy. Um, and like, for instance, the topic like this, you can see I'm very charged right now, even though I wasn't even like thinking that this is where I'd be in an hour when I was like watching Anne with an E and crying on my bed earlier. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, that. I am so privileged in that I was a wanted child. Yeah. Yeah. Like just having been a child who was wanted mm-hmm. and who my parents were willing to make really big sacrifices for. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's even the initial want and then the continued want. It's a choice as a parent to want to support your kids every day to choose to love them unconditionally every day so it's not just I want to have a I want to have a baby I want to get pregnant it's you are continually wanted you were fought for you are their dream because you were wanted over and over and over again yeah yes I just recorded a podcast it's the one that came out this week you know this this under talked about issue of like it's not, do you want to have the baby? It's, do you want to have the human who you will have this relationship with for the rest of your life? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to revolve yeah. your life around this? Yeah. Totally. And like, you know, I, I mentioned Anne with an E, but it's it's connected because it's all connected, right? Anne, I love Anne with an E. <laughs> Anne of Green Gables, a, a very famous book you know um from the 20th century uh detailing the story of an orphan girl and and let's just say like you know lots of stories are about orphans harry potter like lots of stories that stick in the psyche are about an orphan child they're you know they they're the hero an orphan child at its core was an unwanted child Mm -hmm. for some reason or another whether the parents passed away or couldn't support that child because there was no abortion available. Yeah. Right. Like that child's story of being unwanted. Like I was just sobbing. I just sobbed through every single episode of Anne with an E. I love it. I'm in my period. I love it too. (laughs) Era 100%. Yeah. And I think the biggest emotion to me, I wrote it in my notebook yesterday was like, God, the emotion of being unwanted. That is just, but I will just challenge you a tiny bit to say unwanted itself is so relative because there is actually unwanted. There is wanted, but can't care for there is Yes. There's like there's so many layers inside. Well, that. and then there's there's unwanted and then there's adoptive parents, like <laughs> unwanted until you're wanted, right? And you can also change your circumstance. I you know, I believe yeah. you can change your circumstance. Yeah. Um yeah. and there's plenty of times in my life that I feel unloved until right. I remind myself how much my parents freaking love me. Right. Or my my partner or my friends. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's all, yes, I know, I know spectrum. We're the type yeah. of people that believe you can the, basically, I know the only reason I brought it up is so many people will have the story. Like I did want that pregnancy yes. that I chose to abort. I did want it. It right. wasn't about and, want. And my mom poppy too. on your shoulder. It's a marigold. A marigold. Oh, yeah. so beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think 
for my mom too. She wanted all of her pregnancies. It just yeah. wasn't, it wasn't an option. Yeah. Yeah. We have been talking for um, a really long time. I have another call to get on. I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much for sharing everything you shared. Of course. Is there something you want to close with? Is there something that you think some listener may still want to hear from you? Okay, there's lots of things, but is there <laughs> is there one thing that's really jumping out as um, at you as let's say this in closing? Mm, you know, I did tell you at the beginning to to remind me at the end if there's anything, but there I don't really think there is. I just yeah. want to offer myself as as a resource to people. You know, if they want help in getting involved in any way, you know, I could share with you organizations, my path, whatever yeah. support. Um, yeah. I'm a coach. So you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm sure I'll, I'll tell Amanda what my um, handles are. And then yes, can, like, I will do all the linking, but for someone who wants to just listen and go find you, what is your, where's the best place to find you? Um, Probably Instagram. And I have a, I have a, a, a funny handle, but it's V with three underscores, coach three underscores V love it <laughs> a little it's a little uh maybe it needs to get changed at some point but right yeah. now that's what it is yeah. um by consciouscoaching.com if you're interested uh, you can i also have a contact form there. yeah great so. awesome it's really been a pleasure to have this conversation with you and i'm sure we will stay in touch i hope so um, thank you for offering this your your perspective to the to the to the show it's a big deal. It matters. Thank you for producing the show. I know that making a podcast is no small feat. Mm. Having that one, that one this point. is true. <laughs> this is true. Okay. Until next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.